viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast for July 13th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are the creative team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. To learn more about the film and sign up for updates, head on over to inbarfilm.com. That's I-N-B-A-R film.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the Advocate Experience. This is a program we've been running for a few months where you can actually help us shape the film. You get access to behind-the-scenes material, special updates every two weeks, and opportunities to provide feedback on our work. We have a great group of people already participating, and if you're at all interested, we would love for you to be a part of it. Today, we conclude our interview with Stefan Schmidt, who is the director of the International Forensics Program at Physicians for Human Rights. We touched upon this a little bit before, but all of this, or a lot of what we're talking about, happened 30 years ago. We're talking late 70s, early 80s. Why is it important to talk about this now, to go back, to bring up that violent history? Why is it important for us to look back on these events now, even though it's been 30, 40 years since some of this happened? Well, I think, I think it's, you know, I think that it's a, it's a very, it has a human function in the sense that, you know, we have to take responsibility for our actions. Uh, you know, whether we end up, you know, going to jail for what we did or, or whether just, you know, admitting this is what we did, you know. Uh, I think it's, it's, you know, you know, what makes us strong as humans is dialogue, the, the ability to communicate, the ability to communicate ideas. Okay, and sometimes, you know, Sometimes the only way we communicate things is through violence because we want immediate change. You know, to me that is part of human nature. I don't belong to the people who believe that we're going to eradicate war ever. Okay, I think it's part of, you know, it's part of the human experience. But equally as important, if not more so important, you know, is the fact that we can communicate. You know, that we can establish rules and norms through which we communicate. So justice being one of them. But, you know, truth commissions, things like that, you know, political processes. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at um, countries that, you know, are relatively stable and working in their democracies, you know, all these, all these institutions and these functions are, you know, are, are a product of efficient communication. And, and that's why it's important to talk about these things. And that's why it's important in, to, in America to talk about these things, even though they were 30 years ago, you know, because it's certainly something that has affected you, Nelson, you know, and, you know, and I look at the Iraq war, I look at what's happening now, and we're talking about ISIS, this, that, and the other, you know, and then you look through the newspapers and you constantly say, oh, you know, four Taliban insurgents killed, you know, hurrah, hurrah. I mean, it's not like I'm a big fan of, you know, of, you know, Islamic or other religious fanatics, period, you know, that wield weapons. <laughs> I'm not a fan of them. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I equally, you know, look at what's happening there and I ask myself, you know, 30 years from now, you know, what are the lists of disappeared and the mass graves going to look like then? Mm -hmm. You know, we're killing people left and right, you know, and, and all, all they get is a headline, killed Fort Taliban. How do we know they were insurgents? Who determined that? You know, where's the due process? What's happening here? You know, and, and you know, I kind of see a repeat in some ways of, you know, of what, you know, of what we did, you know, if we talk about us Americans, 
look at what we did in in Latin America. You know, now now we have a huge insurgency. I mean, these guys have some cockamamie idea that's based on religious values, and you know, and, and I don't agree with it. You know, and 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 you know, certainly some of these people you can't negotiate with. You know, at least not through regular communication channels. And sometimes, you know, you might have to do it at the end of a barrel of a gun. But you know, the problem really is, is that you know, when we start just saying, okay, yeah, you know, like that famous Vietnam T-shirt that you know says kill them all and let God sort them out, you know, that attitude is just going to create more and more problems and, you know, what, and the result of which we can see what's happening in Iraq, you know, we can see what's happening in Afghanistan. Uh, this has to stop. And, you know, we, as Americans, or not only Americans, but the Western world, you know, are to a large part instigators of it. You know, and if we allow this to continue, this is just going to get worse, not better. And therefore, it's important that we talk about the things that happened in Latin America because, you know, some of the folks that were in Latin America and arranged for the counterinsurgency there are the same guys who went over and did it in Iraq. And they did it in Vietnam before that, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we should look at what these guys have been doing. Maybe we should... Talk about you know who's responsible you know starting with the deaths in Vietnam or 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 in Latin America you know to me and I mean this is for instance and again this is my very very personal opinion but you know the genocide trial against Rio Smart you know personally I'm you know I'm somewhat critical uh, towards that I mean you know that the guy committed crimes against humanity and war crimes you know there's no doubt in my mind and he deserves whatever punishment comes down his way but genocide I'm not so entirely sure okay just simply because it's very convenient to the Americans if you make a genocide think about it because if that is genocide that means it's engendered by Riosmont in this case okay who has some sort of racial fantasy of ethnic cleansing, okay, which he enacted by killing ethnic groups, okay, for, you know, creating an in-group and an out-group. These are the out-groups and we kill all them, we all be fine, okay, based on whatever racial traits, okay, or religious or something to the effect, okay, according to the Genocide Convention. And at that point it really becomes his creation, his responsibility, the Americans can wash their hands, walk away and say, oh yeah, and here's this crazy genocidal dictator down there that did this. Except that when, there's, in fact, there's footage of Ronald Reagan slapping him on yeah, the Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I know that, but that's why I'm saying <laughs> when, in when in fact, you know, and, and you can't say that the United States, you know, was promoting a genocidal policy in, in Latin America. I, yeah, I really do not believe that, okay? Uh, the, the main reason why I have a problem with it is also that you know the the trial utilized one very very small ethnic uh, or geographical area with a specific ethnic group. You know that um, that the military was eradicating. Okay, I don't say that they weren't um, mm -hmm. uh, as as a means to establish that this was genocide. I feel that a it diminishes what genocide really is when you look at Rwanda or the you know the Holocaust or the Armenians or you know, or other genocides in the world, uh, to the effect that um, that you know, in Guatemala, uh, Native Americans or the Guatemalan Indians are such a part of that Guatemalan culture that it's you know, it, it to me it's inconceivable that especially somebody like Rios Montt, there are so many 
you know, Mayans in, in Guatemala who, you know, to this day are still in favor of him. And one of the reasons is, is when you hear the guy talk, he talks Spanish like an Indian, you know, with, with the accent, you know. And, and that's why, I, I, you know, that's why I'm not so entirely sure whether I would title that genocide. And another thing, like I said, to me the biggest thing is that if you do that, then you automatically absolve the United States from, you know, from responsibility. I really think that you know it puts a puts a final touch on it and says, okay, this guy is the final, you know, you know, designer of a genocidal policy who carried it out based on whatever cultural, racial, you know, values that they had in their head. Because you can't say that Ronald Reagan, you know, you know, had had some sort of racial genocidal policy or something it's, like that. It's That's interesting. It's something in doing the documentary. You know, there's we're uh, one of the sections is is tying in the disappearances in El Salvador, the disappeared children, to a pattern of disappearances in the region. And language is so important, and this stuff is, it, it's very hard to understand, and it's very hard to describe. <laughs> and it's very hard to give agency to. Um, it's something I think Nelson and I have both struggled a lot with. Um, because Rios Montt obviously did very bad things. Yeah. Um, you know, I hated him. Yeah, Still and, do. <laughs> and the U and the U.S. obviously supported these things um, and had a coordinated policy. I would argue, and uh, yeah. and there there's a lot of bad actors, you know, and and some of the guerrilla resistance movements, um, you know, they had their share of atrocities as well, or inscripting young children into the services. Um, it came nowhere as close to what the military was doing. I can no, tell you that. No. I think in El Salvador, it was it was like 85 or 90 percent of the atrocities in the Truth Commission were attributed to the military, and 10 to 15 percent to the guerrillas. But yeah. but anyway, the the point I guess you know it, it sort of gets to when you hear soldiers talking about how war is hell, and it's 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 just hard to describe. You know, um, is the sense I get in in looking at these issues and, and trying to help Nelson tell his story. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, you know, it's not easy. And I mean, even my dialogue and my way of thinking of it has changed the older I've become, you know. Uh, you know, you think differently about things when you're younger than, you know, than once you're older and you have children of your own. You know, I have a daughter that's 27 years old. I have a grandchild that, you know, is turning seven or turn seven, uh, you know, uh, you it, you know it, it takes on a you know you take on a different view to things that you know were a little more nonchalant uh, when you were younger, and you know you look at you know you look at the wars in 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 Guatemala and El Salvador and and in Honduras and and, and Nicaragua obviously, you know it's just unfathomable. How such a small patch of land and population can have those kind of incredible, you know, struggles with poverty, with war. You know, you look at Haiti. You know, or look. I mean, and we're talking about countries that you know are almost our neighbors. You know, and we haven't well, been able fact, to do I'm anything closer, in order to. You're closer to both those places than you are to Nelson or I right now, and and I'm closer to those places than I am to either of you right now. So yeah, they are our neighbors. Yeah, certainly. Well, you might be closer to Mexico. It only takes me about what two and a half or three hours to fly to Guatemala. Mm -hmm. See, um, but but um, 
you know, and it's and 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 what's happened there is so closely linked to the way we live our life here in the United States, and people really tend to forget, you know, what happens when, you know, you vote somebody like Ronald Reagan or George Bush or in this case even Obama, if you look at, you know, the increased use of uh, of of drone technology in order to assassinate suspected terrorists. You know, I think that the human rights community also has changed because, uh, you know, and is, is, you know, struggling with those concepts themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know how I feel about, I mean, I, I feel it's atrocious, you know, the way these things go and it should be handled differently, but um, the world certainly has changed. And, uh, and you know, and, and what do you do? You know, do you allow a movement like, you know, what we have with ISIS right now to take over an entire country and start talking about, you know, establishing some caliphate and hacking off hands and everybody be better, you know, praying this premium for surah of the Quran and installing whatever their, you know, vision of religion and righteousness is? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's such a good thing, <laughs> you know, and how do you stop it? You know, without creating more mass graves and more disappeared people, can you imagine how many disappeared people we have in the you know Arabic and you know even the Afghan world now? You know, I remember in the 90s when I went to Bosnia, okay, 92 or 93 when I first went to Bosnia, the Bosnia war just started. You know, they were you know I went to you know I remember walking into a bar once or a cafe because I wanted to get a coffee and I forgot where in Bosnia it was there were a whole bunch of guys sitting there with little green headbands that had you know Arabic writing on it probably Allah Akbar or something to the effect in those days you know you didn't think of Osama bin Laden or anything like that but you know the the word always was that you know these were Afghan Mujahideen or coming out trained out of Afghanistan you know and what was interesting is is that in those days they tell these they tell these stories about you know how these guys could jump off of three-story buildings and do you know these incredible feats and you'd send them somewhere you know the Afghans in sandals in the middle of winter and enough ammo and no food and they'd clean out an entire village well what was interesting is that in 2000 I ended up going to Algeria right Algeria had also a big uh, Islamist problem which the Algerian military dealt with you know more mass graves meaning <laughs> more oppression and killing but um, you know, you had the same kind of stories told there about you know the Afghan mujahideen. So you know, this was this was already something in the creating, and you know these fellows who came from you know Saudi Arabia, who knows where they all came from, Afghanistan, whatnot, and died out there. You know, that's that's another disappeared person right there. You can you imagine how many people are disappeared now in the Arabic world because of all these crazy jihads going on? Be that in Syria, be that wherever. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you know, it's just unfathomable and I don't even know where to begin when you talk about identification efforts and where do you begin with truth-telling and where do you begin with repatriation of remains and bringing families back together again and healing those wounds. My God, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a war that's affected Syria, Jordan, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq. Uh, Yemen, uh, Egypt, Libya, uh, Mali, you know, I mean, basically, you know, North, all North Africa and, 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 and all these guys, you know, I was in Tripoli. I remember it was in Tripoli and in the hotel there was this, you know, everybody was gathering around this guy and it turns out he was some famous, 
you know, Libyan fighter who just come back from training people in Syria. Can you imagine how many Libyans are in Syria or Syrians who came to Libya and they die out there? Their parents never going to know where they are, where they were buried. You know, the, the, the pain and suffering and grief, you know, that is being created as we speak. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I don't. I don't even want to think about. You know how. You know, well, you know, I do think about how to. You know, maybe this is. Um, I mean, I, I have one question that I was kind of going to end with, um, and, and I know we're coming up on time. So, John, I don't. I don't know if you have any other questions, but. Uh, this has been a great discussion, and Nelson, go ahead. Yeah. So I guess my my final question for you is, um, you know, a lot of human rights work is very dark and difficult, and we've certainly touched upon a lot of those themes today. So my question is simply, what gives you hope? What, what keeps you going and, and you know, inspires you to deal with all of this very dark stuff and uh, continue the work that you do? Well, looking at you, Nelson, and seeing how, <laughs> how my conversation and my Preaching here has uh, has been somewhat depressing. I think we really need to, you know, um, end this on a on on a good note. You know, I, I talked about the human experience and how you know how how violence is part of the human experience. But you know, when I go home and I look at my wife and my children and my grandchildren now, okay, that is also part of our human experience. That is something that you know gives me hope. It has to give me hope. Okay, so. For me, the work that I do, okay, whether I go to Afghanistan or El Salvador or anywhere, the work that I do and I deal with death, and I deal with death dealt out, you know, as a result of repression, uh, the biggest thing that I feel I can contribute is by giving family members hope, you know, hope that their story might be told one day, you know, that, that there is somebody out there that is working towards, you know, telling the truth, towards ending this. You know, when I go and, you know, deal with, with, with what happened in Libya, which by, certain, by no means is even similar, you know, in scope to what happened in Syria, you know, the, the idea is, is to tell people, listen, you know, you, you want to identify your dead. It's not going, you know, the bad news is it's going to take you tens of years. The good news is that you can do it and that you need to own it. You know, you are the ones who need to educate your children to become DNA analysts to become, you know, forensic laboratory directors or what have you in order to make this happen, but you can make it happen. Because if you look at Guatemala, for instance, and Guatemala by no means is, you know, the shining example of a peaceful country, but, but you know, it certainly is, is an example of a country that has fought very hard and has had an incredibly brutal war, okay, and that, you know, where, where you do have the means you know, where identifications are happening and they're done by Guatemalans. Universities have taken that on as subject matter. You know, I mean, the university that I went to is the one that, you know, right now currently has delivered all the, you know, uh, biochemists and DNA or geneticists, so to say, who are working in the forensic laboratory at the Guatemalan, you know, at the Guatemalan team down, foundation down there. Um, you know, that, that didn't exist. When, when I started down there. There was no means to identify anybody through DNA. I mean, first of all, science wasn't quite as advanced then, but, you know, it wasn't until like 2006 or seven that that became a reality. So, you know, it is a possibility. You can look at it and say, okay, yeah, you can do it. 
you know, and that's, you know, that's where I find hope. You know, I find hope in, I, I actually try to go into a project and see, you know, how can I, what can I contribute in order to make people feel that they, they eventually can control their own destiny. You know, it's a very American message, actually, which is, you know, you have to control your own destiny, and this is how you do it, and education is a big, is a big, big means, you know. So... You know, that's where I find my hope. I find my hope in the same human experience that is often our downfall. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Stefan, this has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing, you know, uh, your your experiences. I hope that our listeners get a lot out of this. I, I know that we have. And, uh, you know, you, you've touched upon many of the issues that we are trying to address in the film and you know that we struggle to to articulate in a way or uh, articulate cinematically that you know yeah. does a um that keeps our that will keep our audience engaged so um but other than that it's it's been a pleasure and uh thank you for being here Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute honor to finally meet you and see you face to face after, you know, having heard so much about you from Lindsay, who I had the pleasure to have working for me there for a few years. Uh, and thanks but, thanks to Lindsay for helping set up this interview. Oh yeah, no, Lindsay is Lindsay is fabulous. She knows how to whip everything up and organize people. <laughs> All right. Uh, everyone at home, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.